Support for this podcast comes from MetaView. MetaView is an interview intelligence platform that elevates interview quality at high-performing, high-growth companies. When hiring at scale, it's impossible to keep interviews high quality and consistent. There are too many different interviews run by too many different people to be sure there's a common understanding of what good looks like. This can result in missing out on top talent and making mishires. Both are painful and damage business velocity and culture. MetaView gives talent acquisition leaders and hiring managers visibility into what's happening in interviews and unique data, insights and training flows to help interviewers calibrate and improve. All of this means you can interview and hire faster without sacrificing consistency or quality. If you want to learn more, you can visit metaview.ai now. There's been more of scientific discovery, more of technical advancement and material progress in your lifetime and mine than in all the ages of history. Hi there, this is Matt Alder. Welcome to episode 437 of the Recruiting Future podcast. The one theme that's come out very clearly in the conversations I've had with talent acquisition professionals in the last 12 months is the relationship between speed and quality in the hiring process. Speed is currently a competitive advantage, which means that many employers are focusing intensely on speeding up their hiring processes. However, quality of experience and quality of hire are still critical. So how do you speed up talent acquisition and improve quality at the same time? Earlier this year, Mervyn Dillon and I joined forces with the team at MetaView to work on a piece of research to see if we could answer this question. We spoke to employers who are successfully improving both the speed and quality of their talent acquisition to distill the mindset, strategies and tactics they're using to solve this complex challenge. We recently published the research in a white paper and I'm delighted to welcome Jermaine Yokoyama Heiliger to the show to discuss the findings. Jermaine is a people experience and operations consultant who was previously chief people officer at several high growth tech companies. She was one of the people that we interviewed during the research and she has some very valuable perspectives to share. Hi Jermaine and welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for having me here. It's an absolute pleasure to have you on the show, particularly as you were one of the people that we spoke to during the research stage of the white paper. And it's great to be able to talk to you to get your insights on the, on the, on the published research, basically. To start with, could you just introduce yourself and tell everyone what you do? Sure. My name is Jermaine Yokoyama Heiliger. I have spent probably 20, 25 years in startup environments working in, oh goodness, it's changed over time. It's been human resources, people operations, people experience, but all things people uh, running uh, various size organizations. Um, and now I do consulting and help out uh, startups in that same realm. Fantastic stuff. So, you know, that really makes you the the perfect person to to answer the, the first question, which is before we sort of start talking about the white paper in, in detail, tell us a little bit about what you're seeing happening in the market at the moment for talent. Uh, it's an 
interesting time, but there are also differences between larger and, and smaller companies and what you're seeing in both. I would say across the board, we're all consistently seeing the perfect storm, right? We're in the, the second war for talent, which is impacting companies and how they think about compensation, benefits, what perks matter now if you're no longer in an office and can draw people to that site. I think it's been described as the great resignation, but really what I am hearing and feeling more is that it's a great reprioritization for individuals as COVID really reminded us what truly matters um, about what we do with our time and where we spend it. Uh, and then lastly, I think talent over location um, has come up more and more. Do companies mandate returning to the office or do they go hybrid or even remote first where they haven't ever been before? In this, you'll see smaller companies are definitely more challenged as they don't have the luxury of multiple office locations, infrastructure in the company and to get those set up. They're not international. And how do they retain their employees that want to work in various locations? I think all companies are grappling with the changes that this makes to their culture. How do they bring people together, create camaraderie and a bond between their employees? I think we'll continue to see this evolve over time as companies state they're returning or not returning. Do they dial that back? What happens if we have another pandemic and things shut down again? Will employees become increasingly um, more demanding of what companies can provide for them. Absolutely. I mean, fascinating times, challenging times, disruptive times, basically. One of the issues that has come up time and time again in the conversations that I've had with TA and HR leaders in the last 12 months is, is really the basis for wanting to do this research. And that's the the conundrum that lots of employers find themselves in that they really need to increase the speed at which they hire for many reasons, but particularly because talent is hard to find, talent has choices, and um, you know they need to move very, very quickly. But at the same time, they need to improve the, the quality of the people that they hire and the quality of their process and their candidate experience. In your experience, just how difficult is it to do both of those things at the same time? Oh, it's it's a major challenge because it's a complete overhaul of how a company thinks about hiring if they haven't been doing this before. Right? Retention of employees starts at the job description and recruiters care as much about hiring individuals as they do about retaining them because they don't want to spend you know the vast majority of their time backfilling roles that they've already once filled. So when you start at the job description to retain employees, it reflects not just the job, the responsibilities, but also talks about the culture of the company and what they should expect. So if a company's prepared and quite honestly, if they have the budget to do so, then ramp may not be as difficult to have increased speed with improved quality. However, if you don't have the structure in place, it leads to a lot more burden on people managers, on your HR business partners, because companies have to be good at recruiting. And in all honesty, 
companies have to be good also at talent management. And you don't often see companies good at both, right? Interviews still remain this artificial environment to decide if a person will or won't work out, even with multiple interview rounds, coding challenges, take-home assignments, the whole nine yards. Try to cut that time, add back pressure from candidates and multiple offer scenarios or interview scenarios, while also changing comp practices and benefits. It's building the plane while it's going down down the road um, and trying to take flight. Um, and it's all to say that a company that has tight processes also has enough trained people to effectively interview candidates, right? You're hyper hiring, accelerating the speed of that uh, volume, and you're crushing people's schedules that are your best interviewers, leaving them then little time to get their own workload done. And so it's a challenge that impacts companies on a scale beyond just, oh, we need to improve our talent acquisition team. Absolutely. And and I think that really underlines why it's so difficult for employers and, uh, you know, such a challenge at the current time. When we sort of, when we, when we did the research for this. One thing that, that came out very strongly as a, I suppose, as a strategic concept in terms of dealing with this challenge was, the, was this kind of two-pronged approach of being ready, continually ready to hire in terms of having talent pools and, you know, nurturing, nurturing people over long periods of time, having people ready to go, and also running a great process, you know, dealing with the problems that you've talked about there in terms of interviewer availability and quality and, you know, how people feed back to candidates and all, all those all those kind of things. Now you've had a chance to to sort of read the, the white paper in its entirety. I'd just be interested um, to know what kind of stands out for you. So in terms of the the bit where we look at what companies are doing um, in terms of being ready to hire, we cover a few aspects of it. We, what were the ones that, that really stood out for you? In all transparency, I think they're all relevant, right? Data on the current team and the future needs and priorities of the company as well as branding the company are all this multi-viewpoint of how companies are showcasing themselves to, to candidates, right? Do they have a good handle on what they need to hire, what they have within the company, what the holes are? And are they also representing themselves in a transparent and legitimate way? You never want to walk into a company and feel like, wow, this was a complete bait and switch and nothing like what they sold me in the interview, right? This isn't the old adage of uh, interviewing is dating and the job is marriage, uh, where you find things out in the, the real world. You want it to actually mirror themselves. I think it's a lot of data and a lot of partnering with the leadership within the company, partnering with the business partners, the HR business partners, is critical to understanding what the composition of the company looks like and ensuring that there are people in the recruiting team or in the data team that can provide these insights into what's going on. But 
it's going to be a little bit of both, right? The HR side of the house may know more of who's not working out, what roles we need to replace, or what holes exist within a within that organization as they do planning with leadership in conjunction with the talent acquisition team. But companies are also notoriously bad across the board at headcount planning. The good news is, is nobody ever fully hires uh, to their headcount capacity. So there's always some flop from year to year, but being able to have enough runway to figure out how can we plan talent acquisition, get the data that we need to in time to get some sourcing done, to get some uh, job descriptions written and posts out there for people will consistently remain a challenge. And that's not something talent acquisition can often accelerate, unfortunately. You know, that kind of mirrors what you were saying earlier about talent management being this part of the solution. And it is that that sense of uh, the whole company kind of working on all the different aspects of this to be as prepared and informed as possible. But but that is a challenge in, in the real world. But I think it's a challenge that lots of people that I'm speaking to are, are addressing and, you know, are finding ways to deal with that. Moving on to the, the, the piece about the recruitment process it, itself and, and running a great recruitment process, what, what stood out for you in, in terms of some of the areas that we cover in that, in that part of the research? Oh, for me, I live by the adage of anything worth doing is worth measuring. Somebody told me that many years ago. And I think qual will be as important as quant. Right, Rich Cho was right in that in the end, this is about human to human interaction. As much as we want to interject data in there, it's about humans connecting. And how can we improve those interactions through tools, quite honestly, like MetaView will remain important to understand what works, what isn't working, what training do we need to provide, and what education needs to be done for the interviewers, and in some case, the interviewees, like what are we missing in communicating with candidates that isn't being translated correctly across video or even in person to understand um, what's the hook for this one candidate? Yeah, no, absolutely. I think, yeah, I think you're right. In the Richard Cho's comments about that human to human process that we feature in the report of uh, really, really kind of resonate, definitely. As a final question, probably the most difficult question, <laughs> difficult question of all, which is really sort of thinking towards the future. It's obvious that we're in a time of, of transition and great change and things having to change very, very quickly. What do you think the, the future looks like? How are some of the trends that we're talking about, how are they going to kind of solidify and, and develop in the future? I think some things will continue to improve, right? Like video interviews are still a fairly new and novel idea. I think it gives candidates more flexibility. Now they don't need to travel or commute to the office. They don't have to take an entire day off for a marathon interview or going in after hours. They can slide it into their overall day. So you can break up interviews and curate the order of those interviews and probably bang out as many interviews in a day that you would have with a person sitting in the room. I think we'll continue to see 
things like automation, tasks like scheduling, maybe tools to ensure data collection post-interviews is completed. But in the end, connection matters. Tools like, quite honestly, like MetaView will be able to provide additional data to improve interviews and interviewers. But how do you improve the connection? How do you paint a picture of what it's like to work at the company? Does does a tool like MetaView move into biometric data, providing insights into a person's real-time reactions? Like having a small group of people, I don't know if you've ever seen that show, um, it's no longer on, it's called Lie to Me, where they would record individuals and see these micro-expressions and tell if a person was lying, telling the truth, kind of reaching beyond explaining what they'd actually done um, at their last jobs. But we now may have more data from our wearable devices, Fitbits, Apple Watches, what's your body temperatures, your heart rate at a certain level that should make a person nervous. Things like VR are still in its infancy and likely will play a bigger role in the future, not, not just in interviews to show the team they will work with or attend meetings to get to know the team better, but they will run some type of simulation to see how the person reacts to better, for a company to better understand how are they going to fit within the group when you don't have this in-person meeting that people can have different reactions over video and not ever having met the person. And then will AI pull data on candidates from various social media platforms? Will it look at the videos you've posted or words you've used in posts to create almost a bio of a candidate before you even interview the candidate that can improve the interview experience because companies can better tailor their questions, that candidate's interview experience, what they learn about the company, or even what the company decides to share. Now, naturally, laws are going to come about in order to cover all of this. But with employee activism continuing to be on the rise, with the shift in work cultures as companies decide if they want people in-house or working remotely. I think transparency of data for employees will always be required. So if you do start pulling biometric data, if you do start using all of these other AI tools, what will employees want to see, want to know, and understand about that will also impact as much of the hiring and the disclosure of that information that leads to a diverse environment, working environment that people appreciate and enjoy. And then work-life balance has definitely changed. Companies are going to struggle to hire the number of employees required, deliver the volume of products, and keep up also at the same time with increasing compensation for not just the candidates, but also their pre-existing employees. You're seeing Amazon have this battle right now about what they're paying their candidates versus what their employees are being paid. Because 
gone are the days in startups, at least, where cash is traded for equity. And this 996 mentality is a long forgotten, you know, notion. And if, if it does come up, there is a lot of vocalization from the employee base that this is not going to be acceptable. So I think you're going to see changes from the inside of a company that also need to be reflected to candidates as much to understand what is happening and why they'll want to join the company. Jemaine, thank you very much for talking to me. Not a problem. Thank you so much for taking your minutes with me. My thanks to Jemaine. And if you want to download a full copy of the report, you can find it at metaview.ai slash recruiting future. That's metaview.ai slash recruiting future. You can subscribe to this podcast in Apple Podcasts, on Spotify or via your podcasting app of choice. Please also follow the show on Instagram. You can find us by searching for Recruiting Future. You can search all the past episodes at recruitingfuture.com. On that site, you can also subscribe to the mailing list to get the inside track about everything that's coming up on the show. Thanks very much for listening. I'll be back next time and I hope you'll join me. This is my show.